0: My name is Kathy G. Johnson, and I'm Remus Jackson.
1: We are cartoonists, scholars, and educators. On Drawing and Dialogue, we put comics into historical, theoretical, and educational contexts. I work with K-12 students in schools and alternative educational settings. I have three graphic novels out in
0: addition to self-published
1: works. I have
0: a master's degree in art education. And I'm a PhD candidate in the University of Florida's English program. Um, I also have a master's in English from UF, and my research focuses on trans embodiment uh, and experience in comics and zines and uh, museum studies, and I also make a lot of self-published comics. Wonderful. Hi, Remus. How are you doing? Hi. I'm doing good. It's been a minute since we recorded. We should probably address that, huh? Yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think we value um, having a good time while we're recording. I think that is important and not stressing ourselves out keeping this a project that we care about um but do you want to share what's been going on
0: yeah i mean i'll keep it brief uh i i I, my partner and i just had to move very unexpectedly and i believe it's fair to say the same thing happened for you yes we both (laughs) literally had greedy landlords force us (laughs) to move
1: in the same month (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah. In completely uh, different states. <laughs> yeah. And moving, you know how it is. It's hard and it takes a long time to find a place, and then the actual moving takes forever. So we've just been.
1: And I actually moved twice. I moved to yeah. one place, <laughs> and then the next month I moved again. So. So yeah. we said, I haven't pulled out this microphone from that box since February. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and the funny thing is we did have uh we did have an episode recorded that I think is going to become a different thing, question mark. Yeah, I'm not actually
1: quite sure because this is episode forty we had another episode forty-nine, but this right. one is now going to be episode forty-nine.
0: Yeah. So uh that might just become a, a fun bonus episode we do something with eventually, but we'll <laughs> figure it out. We're
1: going to figure it out. I mean, also, part of the issue is this microphone. This is going to be the last episode where I'm recording on this microphone. This microphone has been doing a lot of glitching, and I actually think we mentioned it in episode 48, mm-hmm. um, that this epi- this my microphone needed replacement. replacement. Um, but I got a new one ordered, so this will be the last one on this podcast. But I really wanted to... I asked you just a couple of days ago. This yeah. is, normally our turnaround is about a month and a half. Yeah. <laughs> but I asked you just a couple of days ago. I was like, "Hey, um I think I want to talk about uh the hot topic that's been <laughs> that's been going around comics Twitter lately."
0: Right. So do we just sort of put the tiger on the table and yell at it? <laughs>
1: yeah i mean i want to first i want my introduction i got, we're gonna state, state this at the top and we're gonna state it throughout the entire podcast yes. legally everything we are talking about in this podcast is alleged and or is a statement of our opinion right um but what's the tiger remus
0: so um there has been a recent uh i've been calling
1: it? it a situation
0: situation <laughs> that's a good one there's been a situation where um there's a book that was nominated uh for four eisners uh which is uh uh thomas woodruff's uh francis rothbart the tale of a Facitious feral and uh it's a graphic novel it's a graphic novel uh, the eisners are uh very maybe the most
1: I famous comics awards. We call it the, our Oscars. Um, yeah, which obviously will never be the size of the Oscars, <laughs> but it does take place at San Diego Comic Con, which is sure. the biggest North American comic show, if not the. In- I mean, I guess. We can't say the entire world. I'm, I'm sure Japan probably has
0: massive. Oh show. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, like it's definitely. I don't. I don't know if it's the biggest comics award writ all. Like it's definitely the largest in North America, right? Yeah, but I don't. Yeah,
1: if like I, I, know. I'm sure Anglome has. You know. Yeah. Um, but North American, is the largest North American uh comic award at the largest North American comic
0: con. Right. So um, the, Uh, uh uh i'm just gonna sort of read i'm just gonna sort of go off our notes here um because i you know we we don't normally like talk about news topics like this mm-hmm. um for you know because we are not a, go- a gossip podcast right and we're not super interested i think in uh that sort of thing but we don't really uh, we aren't interested in being timely <laughs> right also that right which is which is part of it but um uh, it, this is an, this is a situation that touches on a few conversations that we both think are really valuable and have been things that we've actually talked about potentially like discussing on the podcast previously right mm-hmm. um so with that in mind we're both going to steer away from talking specifically or like doing pointed analysis of the author of the book or the details of the statements about the book mm-hmm. um either from The author, the publisher, or the awards, uh, Eisners, because, you know, again, we're not, like, a gossip podcast, and we're not super interested in, like, dissecting this specific situation so much as, like, it is a good starting point for a larger conversation about, um, what the episode is actually about, um, and also because we believe that, like, if we were going to focus on the book, it would give a lot more attention and credence to a book that, like, I think in both of our opinion mm-hmm. um, doesn't really deserve any attention. <laughs> so <laughs> We don't want to, like, add fuel to the fire by being like, go look, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, the, it's like negative attention is still a lot of attention, right?
1: I mean, and it's attention that I feel like the book probably, it would have died in obscurity. Sure. <laughs>
0: without this sure yeah it, 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 in my opinion know. sure sure yeah yeah of course um and so again we're not going to be really like speaking specific to the details repeating details um we both support uh victims of abuse right we both stand by them mm-hmm. um but we aren't repeating any specific allegations and again legally everything we say is in our opinion
1: And I also wanted to point out that in different situations, I do believe in keeping an open mind about similar uh, situations like this, um, especially when someone at the center is of the criticism is someone who's marginalized and accusations and coming from a single source or a source that is difficult to uh, pinpoint. um, Mm -hmm. This is such a specific situation uh, type. And that's what we're going to get into, right? We're going to talk about award judging. And we're going to talk about criticism.
0: Right. So, yeah, again, not speaking, not, not, uh, doing a deep dive on the book itself or the artist himself, but th- about like what is book, like what is, uh, a war judging like? And then, like, what's the diff, like, what is the lines with like criticism? Which is, again, something that, like, has been a topic I think we've wanted to talk about for a while and just, um, it's a delicate one, so I think we've been trying to figure out a good way to sort of like approach it. Mm-hmm.
1: Um. So that all being said, um, there's sort of three players, um, that's uh, is happening, which is the publisher, um, the author, and the award judges. Mm-hmm. Um. So, sort of a rundown of the situation is that a former student who is a current cartoonist, a published cartoonist, of the author. Uh, noticed how many nominations that the book received, and posted about their experience with the author as their professor. Right. And quick research about the book um, that we are, that you are able to uncover, in our opinion, uh, mm-hmm. racist and problematic content from the book, uh, whether or not the book has been read by any of the critics, which I think in the most part, the book has not been read.
0: You think? I don't think oh, so. Oh, yeah. By, like, the, people, you mean, like, talking on t- up talking yeah, about
1: it. Like. The judges clearly read it. Sure. Because otherwise, how would you nominate it? I mean, okay. Let me take it back. The judges were supposed to have read it. Sure.
0: <laughs> so, we're, we're going to assume in good faith that they did read it, right? Yeah. <laughs> we're yes. Just, yeah. Yes.
1: <laughs> um, and I think it's important to point out that, I mean, you can get into it, Remus, right? Like, just cursory looking at this book. Right. Can, it really reveals racist tropes
0: yes i we are again we're not gonna like get super into it but i did want to call out we have another episode of the podcast let me pull up which one it is um where we talked about sort of the history of racist tropes in illustration in cartooning um let me that one was a while ago actually uh uh, this one was uh episode 12 so yeah a while ago um the history of racism and physiognomy and cartooning um Mm -hmm. where we we sort of you actually pulled a bunch of like archival 1700s physiognomy (laughs) like illustration books and we like talked about the ways that those tropes sort of continue and i think that is like an interesting like I think that would be a good episode to go to if you're curious about, like, what we mean when we're talking about, like, oh, there's, like, if you sort of just look at the cover and the title, there's some, like, what I would describe in my professional opinion as both an artist and a person who studies visual culture at an academic level, Mm -hmm. um, pretty racist tropes being used. Yes.
1: Yes. And so uh, this public criticism. Um, I I only was really following it on Twitter, but I'm sure it was happening in other locations. Um, It grew um, as we were continuing the timeline. um, And it had sort of two angles. Um, One was the author's personal history as a professor at SVA. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, it's difficult for us to talk about these alleged allegations of abuse. However, there is documentation on the Black at SVA in 2020, um, at 2021, uh, we also did talk about the Black at Blank. This was a social media movement of talking mm-hmm. about uh, Black students, Black former students, Black alumni, or Black current students talking about their experience of racism at uh, various institutions. So various institutions had these anonymous um, social media um, accounts created, um, Black at blank um Mm -hmm. and the blank being different institutions and there was one black at sva right and so that was one angle is the author's personal history Mm -hmm. and then the other angle was in our opinion the racist content of the book uh both in drawn imagery and that story itself and uh i hadn't for so this is sort of moving us into criticism versus censorship Right, um, and personally, I hadn't said anything publicly, um because I feel I am a white person, and I felt like I wanted to in uh, at the beginning of the conversation, I kind of wanted to sit back and allow people of color to speak from their point of view. Mm-hmm. um but when uh a statement was made uh, by the publisher, and I believe the author as well,
0: sure, yeah,
1: comparing this public criticism to the book bans. And the censorship that has been taking place against authors of marginalized identity, specifically right. trans authors and f- authors of color. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I just feel like <laughs> it's 2023. <laughs> if you can't figure out the difference between censorship and criticism, then I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> like, right. They are so different.
0: <laughs> they are, Yeah. Yeah. Really. <laughs> And, and again, I feel like part of the reason why we've talked about this before, like, talked about bringing this up before is that, like, that isn't a new line to take, right? There is, yes. like, I, I have personally seen largely, you know, I think in conversations on, like, social media and stuff, but a lot of, a lot of folks who receive criticism, whether that criticism was nicely given or not, you know, like, sure, but a, a lot of people sort of perceive criticism – as censorship or perceive people's reactions to criticism if an author chooses or, like, a, a, I've seen it with, like, game studios and stuff, too, right? Like, mm. if, if like, a studio or a publisher or an author or whatever, like, amends or makes a change to their work uh, in response to criticism, I have seen people sort of decry that as a form of censorship, right? Which it is not, to be clear. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but we have like a drawing a dialogue we've
0: talked yes about we have this. talked about censorship you
1: have it pulled up you have to find it <laughs>
0: it is episode nine censorship age appropriateness and scaffolding where we talked about i believe you talked a lot about like scaffolding and age appropriateness and i talked a lot about like how like what is considered censorship right like yeah. in a like a, in a very like theoretical sense
1: and we've talked more about book bans more recently um, yeah, because I am a band author. I have yes. my book, my middle grade graphic novel, The Breakaways, has been on lists passed around by politicians and conservatives. And I think I've made myself very clear and I've stayed very consistent on this, that I do not consider myself a victim. Being a band author does not make me a victim and i've never positioned myself as such i feel very strongly about this and i just and having this um this comparison i found very frustrating because the real victims are real people who are affected by racism right right are real people who are affected by transphobia right and i identify as a trans person i am genderqueer non-binary mm-hmm. um i use she they pronouns um so in theory I am also a victim of this transphobia, but it doesn't feel, having my book banned is not the same as having transphobia enacted against me <laughs> in everyday life. Right.
0: Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think it's, it's one of those, I think it's like a, a material impact sort of thing, right? Where like, there's a very, and I think it's the sort of thing that varies for, you know, author to author also to a degree, right? But Oh, like, of course. Yes, um, because I mean, like, also part of it is like, you you have a a job that is like an alternate source of income for you, so it's also like, there's not like that extra precarity. Because I, I think a lot, there's like that like line also where like, oh, like, banned books are good for sales, but they're not, right? It does impact no. people's in- income in a significant to, honestly, way. Honestly, <laughs> to
1: me, it actually it, it didn't change it at all. My that, royalty yeah. statements have been the same.
0: <laughs> right, so, <laughs> that neutral for you, I I have heard from other people, like, I have heard other authors talking about it being, like, negative, but, like, you know, the point being just that, like, I, I could, I, I, I think I understand your point that, like, and, for you. I,
1: and I think, I think what I'm getting at is having my book banned is more of an issue for the people who want to read the book. Yes. Right? It's not, it's less of, that specific thing is less of an issue for me, because the purpose of that ban isn't it more widely harms the readers right
0: right yeah like uh this is off topic but just like i i think if we're talking when we talk about like book bans it's like where i've seen it sort of bleed into like harm is you know i since i work at jstor we do hear a lot from schools that are even with like a resource like jstor have to like bend over backwards to justify why they're allowed to like have it so Mm. um that I could like that is a place where I think like it, again it affects the people who like want to read it and, and that includes like yeah. schools and libraries that would like to be able to provide it to people.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think and I, I so I feel like the book bans are a symptom. Yeah, and not the sickness, right? They right. aren't like racism is the sickness. <laughs> yes, and a symptom of that is banning books by people of color. Yes, right. So I feel like when I say I'm not a victim, I feel like it's almost it's almost like I'm just taking a stronger stance. Sure. Sure, my book sales are effective and sure, you know, there's some reality to that. But like I'm not being harmed. <laughs> right. <laughs> the harm isn't happening to me. Right.
0: Right. You don't you don't feel like there's like a danger that like someone else wouldn't want to publish you because of the ban, right? Is that like also part of it?
1: Hmm. I hadn't thought of that. I don't think people would take that into account. Publishers would take that into account. Yeah. Maybe they would. I have honestly no idea what's happening in a publisher's head.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Um, I
1: have another book deal happening, so I'm good. So, that's what yeah. I mean. It's like, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't worry no, about w- your friend, Kathy. <laughs> that's
0: yeah. No, I think that's really important. I think that's like an important thing to sort of like call out, right? <laughs> <laughs> and,
1: um, and so I just... I I just feel really frustrated comparing yeah. criticism to censorship. I just right. feel like claiming that receiving a lot of criticism, I understand it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot of criticism and two things were happening. People were criticizing the book and people were criticizing him as a person. Sure. And that can get mixed up a bit. Yeah. Um we are talking about the book specifically. Mm-hmm. Um but it's it's just like the book and especially that publisher, it's very, it's very frustrating. It just, it feels like edge lordy. It mm-hmm. wants attention. It wants negative attention. I truly believe that, and that's yeah. part of why I was like, are we actually going to talk about the specific book? It's, sure. They want this attention, and and I just like, I, I'm over it. I've been over it for years. Sure. We're- <laughs> And so those two players, the publisher and the author, but then there's a third player that I think also we, I want to get into uh, talking about that. And that's the judges. Right. Yeah. For the Eisner Awards. So uh, uh, it has been pointed out that these six judges, there were six judges, they are all self-identify as white. Yeah. And um, it's also been pointed out that none of them are artists, although I haven't looked into that myself. Have you looked into that? Yeah,
0: none of them are artists. I, I do want to point out that all of them do very firmly work in comics. Yes. Um, In various, uh, like, you know, serving on the the American Library Association's comics board, or like, you know, I believe one of them like operates a, a comic store, like, um i know one of them i believe one of them was like an academic so like it it, it, not artists but people who aren't like completely outside the industry and have no idea how it works like i just want to like clarify that like i understand based on their credentials why they were chosen even if none of them are like comic artists themselves
1: (laughs) yeah and so the four nominations that the book received are one for the book itself like the entirety of the book um which includes the story uh one for artwork one for lettering And one for the design of the book. Um, So that actually isn't even the author. (laughs) Unless the author did his own design. But yeah. And so I just wanted to talk about what judging is like. So both me and Remus have been judges on book prizes. Um, Do you want to explain what the process was like on the inside for you? What was the book prize that you judged on?
0: Um, So I've judged the Prism Awards. uh, How many times? Three?
1: Okay. Three, I think.
0: Um uh and and uh that process it, it varied a little bit from year to year the, the prism awards if you're unfamiliar are uh specifically for lgbtq books um and uh it it, it was not it was you know you basically you're in a speci- you're, you're judging you know i was asked to judge a specific category so not like for everything right um so there was different groups of judges for each category um which it doesn't mm-hmm. seem like there is is the case for the Eisners since there's just the six. I could be wrong, but
1: what was the category that you judged for?
0: I did uh I've done mostly uh mini comic like best short comic mini comic and then one year because I was in the mini comic category I did uh anthology because obviously you cannot judge a category that you are a part of. That would be ethically a no-no. Um <laughs> So, uh, but uh in in each time in that process, we primarily you know, it was you how many were there judges? Uh, it depended, but I want to say around like five, four or five people. okay. but we, you know, were each given all of the submissions for that category, right? And then you had a certain amount of time to read them all. Um, and then score them. Um, I'm, it's been a while and I can't remember if we had like a specific rubric or if it was more, I think there was a specific rubric. Um, I just don't remember in my head. It it was meant more as like a starting point, I believe, than like a hard and fast thing, but, you know, useful, I think, to have sort of like a starting point like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, because it was the Prism Awards we were looking at, like besides like technical Ability. we're also looking at like how does how is this as t- in terms of like representation like how does this like bring what does this bring to the table did
1: you have specific award language that you had to follow it well, like did you have like this award is for blah 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 what do you mean um a language for the award <laughs> <laughs>
0: in, like, in wh- where? This, uh, like this it-
1: award is for excellence in gra- comic in many comics it's like a description of the award that you are judging for. So you're supposed to sort of oh. follow the description.
0: Um, I mean the categories were like defined in that like this is what a mini comic is, this is what an anthology is, but like And
1: what the Prism Awards are.
0: Yeah, but I think that's what the the, the rubric sort of functioned as was like okay, here are the th- specific things we're looking yeah.
1: for. So we didn't have a rubric, we had just uh award language, which I'm also familiar with because I have also done academic awards as like a mm-hmm. teacher and an educator. Um, we had like award language and no rubric, so we were just following the language of the award, basically saying like, "This award is to give to is to uh, recognize excellence in the art form of comics through story, artistry, and lettering, or whatever." Okay, okay. like it would be like a statement like that, and that's gotcha. what you're judging too. Like this, I'm yeah. you know, I'm following this language of the award to as i'm j- making my judgment
0: to my recollection we didn't have a statement we had like specific like a f- a rubric okay uh,
1: that and that yeah that ser- sounds like it serves the a similar yeah thing. basically
0: the same basically i think the same thing of like the category is defined in a specific way and you're judging to that specific category yes, not just exactly. like on its own right yes because there's lots of things where it's like oh this is a great book doesn't make sense for this award right like <laughs> mm-hmm. So it it, yeah, and and then, like we would just you know, you read, and then we would uh, and they let us kind of decide how we wanted to talk about it the the th- the times that I judged we, we judged we opted to do it through like email, but I know that like other folks would do like a zoom call or whatever, you know, and you just we would just sort of like give our choices, and then, if there was a consensus, great, and if there wasn't, we would discuss until we came to a consensus mm-hmm. so it was pretty. I don't know if again it's been a, it's been a minute since the last time I judged, so you know the process might have changed a little bit. But I'm that was it basically the few years I went through it. So, um, was it that sort of similar to your experience? Besides, yeah, the,
1: yeah. So I served as a judge in the LA Times Book Prize Graphic Novels slash Comics category. Um, and so um that award it had award language that I believe was talking about wanting to bring recognition to a a graphic novel or a comic. And it was up to the judges. There were three of us. Um, So I was one of three. Uh, It was up to the judges to sort of decide on the process. Uh, We ended up sort of giving things a one, a two, or three, and then um, sort of a point system, and then um, added them up and went from there. Um, So what we did is we read uh, publishers either, I believe... We nominated books ourselves, okay. so basically we seeked titles from publishers. So it was about hundred books, uh, hundred fifty books, and we would email. We would look at p- uh, publishing announcements and be like, "Oh, this book looks interesting," and then we would, uh, and then we would ask, tell the LA Times what books we were interested in, and the LA Times would reach out to the publishers, and the publishers would send us uh, free copies of the book. So a lot of the times, um, I don't want to cast judge- like that's literally casting judgment on the a book cover and a- <laughs> sure. <laughs> so I ended up like just choosing whatever was interesting in any capacity, uh, yeah. Something that I uh, just was interested in looking at further because um, I didn't want to prejudge before I had ever read the book. Um, and then we received the books and then we read them. And I think it's important for both you and me, both of our categories were overall books. So we take took into account art, story, whatever right. we wanted to take into account was part of the judgment process. And I think it's valuable to remember that uh, these Eisners that uh, this book was nominated for, one was for the story itself, for the entire book. So that's story, art, everything. And then uh, one was for the, just the artwork. One was for just the lettering. And one was for the design of the book. Right. Um, and so, uh, but really, it sort of just comes down to people um, having a discussion about books and sort of coming to a consensus of, and, and, and honestly, you're judges. We were judges. It's our jo- job to cast judgment. <laughs>
0: yeah, and it, it, it is it is, and I think that's why the it's important to to have either the like statement about the award or a rubric because it, it is you have to have some sort of because it can't. I mean, you could just be like, "I like this one to best," but then that's the that would be the Remus Award and not like the <laughs> Prism Award, right? Like there were definitely yes, yes. The, there are definitely times when I would read a book and be like, oh, I really like this, but I don't think it hits what the, like, based on what I believe the award is looking for, I don't think this, like, hits perfectly. You know what I mean? Right. And um,
1: and part of the award is a culture. It's the part of the reason that awards exist is a cultural thing. It's yes. saying, hey, this book is important. I want to shed light on this book. Something that is happening with this book, I think, is a defining quality for Mm -hmm. comics right now and where comics are going i feel like that is also a purpose of awards again we both served as judges in our own wards and all judges are different yeah and that is why you have a crew of different people who are all from different parts of professions and have different experiences which does get to me (laughs) to the point I also tweeted this. This is my second time speaking on the topic publicly because I am a careful person. Um, But I said sometimes, many times, uh, white people, um, the best thing you can do is step down, right? Um, You shouldn't be a part of a panel of entirely white people in 2023. It is just you shouldn't have ever been in a panel of entirely white people. But I feel like we all should know better. At this point um yeah and i i I did say i understand maybe it feels like you're losing an opportunity but passing on something that will most likely result in something ignorant is probably the better choice right (laughs) i have and and this is this is something that i've lived by Mm -hmm. is i've been invited to many a thing i ask who is part of that Um, And if it's entirely white people, I request that I say I do not participate in panels, um, things of that nature, professionally, that only include white people. Mm -hmm. Um, And then usually I try to work with organizers. And honestly, I do it very delicately, professionally, because it's a professional thing for me. Um, And uh, sometimes it's taken poorly by organizers. Um, and sometimes it's pushed back on. And sometimes people say, oh, that isn't something that we noticed. We appreciate that you pointed it out. And we are going to work to make changes. Sometimes those changes don't no longer include me, which right. is fine. If I'm stepping down to make room for someone with a different experience, um, I think that's a good thing for me to be doing. And sometimes it does include me. Sometimes people say, I appreciate this. We will add someone to the conversation and the conversation is all the better for it yeah Um,
0: and i also wanted to super quickly like tag i think part of the important thing in what you're describing and what you're uh advising here is that like when you turn down the opportunity or step out of the opportunity you are very explicit about why you're not just like you're not just like oh no thank you No, (laughs) you are specifically like. Here's why.
1: (laughs) Well, I always want to say, and and I I am very kind about this. I think everyone's coming from a different place. Every organization's coming from a different place. I do it privately. I don't do it publicly um, because I want to give people the opportunity to try something different. And this is sort of an educator. I I am being a little bit of an educator when I do this. (laughs) I'm not saying everyone has to do it the way I do it. Um, But I am just very professionally. I say in my professional life, I do not participate in something that only includes white people. Um, And I would, you know, let's make this a discussion. How can we make changes? Um, And I want to work with people. I do. Um, Because uh, I'm when someone invites you to do something, you have a little bit of power. You don't yes. have a ton of power. <laughs> I, I want to admit, not everyone does like a ton of power, but you do have a little bit of power. Um, and you can say, hey, let's re-examine this. And um, and for now, it's been about participating in something that is entirely white people. and But there's a lot of diversity in the world and maybe this conversation will change and grow yeah. in the types of conversations that we're having, but this is the we're still having issues with things only representing white people right. and opinions. Yeah. Um. Um. I. I do. I think it's important. I always phrase it in a professional capacity. Um. And I. I want to. The, like a couple of things. I'm not going to judge people collaboratively if you're working with friends. Um. I. I mean. I would encourage everyone to have a diverse friend group. Right.
0: Also- <laughs> sure. <laughs> but
1: <laughs> but that is not uh, for me to. <laughs> this is. I'm just speaking professionally, right? Right. Um. Yeah. Well, and, there is- and there also is- I think it's important to not tokenize people. So yeah. I tr- I try really hard. Uh, for a while there, I wasn't I wasn't participating in anything that only had one person of color in it. Um. Right uh because i felt like i didn't want to tokenize anyone um and every situation is different and like depending on the size of the show where the show is yeah the money the show has there's so many different factors and that's why it is a hard and fast rule for me that i don't participate in anything that's all white but then if i i feel like it could have more than i just don't want to be participate in tokenizing people right as well did you have more to add on that conversation <laughs>
0: No, I, well, I was just going to add, you because I really, I think uh, one of the things here is the, like, maybe you're losing an opportunity, because I think, you know, and this is maybe a little outside of our scope here, but I do think one of the things we people talk about when we talk about, like, what anti-racism actually looks like in action, it does for white people who occupy the privileged position, um, that does mean giving up power, and I mm-hmm. think... Especially if you feel like you don't have power in other ways or just aren't familiar with doing that, you know, which is what happens when you are a white person often, um, you, it does feel like you're losing something or you're giving something up or it's like, but I could, but you know what I mean? And it's like, you have to kind of, you do have to kind of like reflect and figure out like where you actually are able to give up that power. Um because that's yeah. what you, we all have to do as white people, and so. and
1: I think and I think I want to point out I I am sympathetic to uh, thinking I haven't had a lot of opportunity I'm ha- finally getting some professional recognition, um, mm. and I do think there's a way that you can pass on something and remain respectful, yeah, and get another invitation the next year. Yeah, I think I think it still leads. I think what you're doing is you're building your credentials, you're building your respectability, and maybe it's happening privately. And I think that can be difficult when you're younger or yeah. new to a thing to do these things privately and feel like uh I don't know, but feel like it's not going anywhere. But yeah. I, I I genuinely think it it does it is good for you and (laughs) not to sound very selfish, but I think, I think in the long run it's good for comics. Right. Yeah. Which is good for everyone. And I think that is sort of, as we're talking about white supremacy, white supremacy is bad for white people too. Right. So you stepping down from power, you challenging, speaking truth to power um, is good for you in the long run as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Even if in the moment it feels like, you lost out. And it's still, f- I still feel that way.
0: Yeah, sure. I still feel that Absolutely. way.
1: Absolutely. Um, especially when I, a organization takes it badly.
0: Right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but then I'm like, feel like I uh, dodged a bullet there. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why I'm saying I don't think you actually are losing out. <laughs>
0: Yeah, if someone gets mad at you because you pointed out uh, in a professional, respectful way that they um, only have white people in something they're organizing, and that's not like a great thing, yeah. um, they're probably not someone you actually want to have a professional yeah, exactly. relationship with. Exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I think, and I think that's what I was saying for these Eisners. I think there was yeah. a way these judges, and I, I can see it. People being like, "Why does it have to be me?" Right. But I, I behold upon you. That it has to be all of us.
0: Right. Exactly. <laughs>
1: to change racism. <laughs> and you are not an exception. Um, So as we're talking about judge- judges being a judge, um, I also wanted to say that in my capacity as a judge, as a graphic novel book prize judge, there were books that were very beautiful that I, but uh, that I felt handled important topics crudely and hurtfully. Mm-hmm. And I passed on them. I pointed it out to my fellow judges. They agreed with me. And we passed on these books. Um, Mm -hmm. And I feel strongly that the beauty of the artwork isn't the only thing that should be taken into account. When you're judging, Mm -hmm. judges have a cultural role in the comics world. We are playing a part of upholding something. And other people see it. Our fellow Mm -hmm. cartoonists see it. Our fellow comics professionals see it. And I think I, it's it's an important role, and I think it's important to say, even though perhaps this is only a judgment on artwork, and we're supposed to ignore other aspects of the book, I feel strongly mm-hmm. that this book handled this topic in a way that is hurtful, and I don't want to be a part of upholding it. Right. I don't know if you uh, ran into that in your award judging, Remus.
0: Uh, honestly, No, but most of the stuff that was submitted to Prism, you know, it was self. It's like self-selected. Yeah, it's self-submission by like queer artists. So I never, you know, I ran into stuff that I would again that didn't like necessarily like fit what I I felt the award representative was looking for, but never, never something that I was like, oh, this is actively harmful.
1: (laughs) You know? Yeah, and I think there were a couple of books, even if they were small moments. I just was like, I, don't, I, j- I wouldn't feel good. I wouldn't feel yeah. good about including this book and having my name on that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> it is an endorsement. I, endorsement an endorsement. It's a public endorsement of that material. It's a public endorsement. Yeah.
1: And I, and I think it's important to, as we're thinking about awards, we are talking about the book. Yes. I think it's okay, as an, a judge in an award, to judge the books isolated from the author. Sure, yeah. I think that is um, a reasonable position to have. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the, still in the isolation of this book, in my opinion, I think there were many problematic aspects of the book mm-hmm. isolated from its author. Yeah. Anything else to say about judgment? I'm ready to move on if you are ready.
0: No, I think that about I keep calling it. it
1: judgment. I don't... <laughs> the judgment of the book. <laughs> I mean, I kind of like, you know, I'm thinking, I was like, you know what? We are the judges, you know, like in that situation, there were actual well, judges yeah. who had. Well, you're about eva- because
0: you're being you have a very specific test to evaluate right? It's again, when you're judging an award, it's not just a like, I like this one. Like there is a, there is like a, if you're doing it correctly, I'm not, you know, I don't want to presume that every award ever has been judged (laughs) in the way that theoretically it should. But like, in theory, when the award is created, there is a specific criteria and you are evaluating for the criteria. It is not just supposed to be like a, you know, whatever. And But part of that criteria should be even if it's not explicit, like should be like, what is the cultural impact of this, right? Like what would it be to endorse this yeah. publicly? <laughs> like,
1: yeah. And, and if you feel like that hasn't historically been what prizes are, I encourage us to change that. Yeah, absolutely. I encourage us to say even if, but this book was nominated for the book itself, which includes story. But even if it's the most beautiful artwork that you've ever seen, if it contains mm. something that is problematic, I encourage... All of us as we're moving forward to reassess how we isolate and um, compartmentalize different aspects of graphic novels. Because I think part of the argument for this art form is that it is is the story, the colors, the drawing, the panel layouts. It is the entirety of the package. And to just isolate certain Mm -hmm. aspects of it... I don't think is upholding what this art form is capable of.
0: Yeah, I think like I think part of it is because traditionally comics have been a very um specialized, right? Like you had like one person who just does letters, you had like one person that just does colors. And you want a way to like value and recognize those specific contributions, right? But it, it does get messier when it's like one person who's doing all of it.
1: And I just I just feel like maybe we can move beyond tradition.
0: Well that's <laughs> yeah. I just still think it's important to find ways to like highlight the important work that like letterers and colorists do as people who are often sort of ignored still.
1: I mean philosophically, uh theoretically. If someone letters a book that is racist,
0: oh yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. I'm not okay. talking about right. a, okay. a racist book. <laughs> I'm saying like in general, <laughs> yes. If the lettering of a book that is not racist is particularly beautiful, the letterer does deserve. I, some I think I think there's
1: certain. I think that that yeah, and I think what I'm saying is I think we can, as a society, as a culture, recognize. That we shouldn't fully isolate something yeah. oh, from absolutely. something else
0: yeah well it's two um, things at once right it's capable to hold two things in your head at once
1: yeah, and I think that's true for um, this is a nuanced conversation right this is this yeah. is nuanced and this is uh, I, I think overly simplifying um, is is a problem right like I yeah. think we shouldn't overly simplify I think we should always look at something critically and thoughtfully. Mm-hmm. As an isolated incident. Um, Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, sort of uh, moving into the conclusion, or not the conclusion, Mm -hmm. but towards the end of our main content, um, we decided to record this episode the day before the author himself pulled the book, at least that is allegedly publicly the way it's been phrased, Yes, Um, which is uh, what he should have done in the moment the criticism happened, in my opinion, from a public Mm -hmm. relations standpoint. Um, Clearly... This is an author and a publisher that, in my opinion, don't really care about public image, mm-hmm. um, as they have both made many choices uh, in the past that stated that they aren't afraid of public ire, again, in my opinion. Um, yeah. And I just, I really feel like the author withdrawing was the only possible outcome. It was either withdraw or lose. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't right. going to win. Um, right. <laughs> um. If the Eisners had pulled the book from nomination, that would have set into precedence a bigger problem for them. Um, right. Once the public got hold of the criticism and it started g- growing and growing, the Eisners could no longer quietly pull the book. And if they if they would have done that, I don't know if they right. would have, but we are beyond that point. Um, right. But once it hit the public eye, they definitely couldn't have pulled it because then, in my opinion, because then that sort of creates a lot of future issues. What if other yeah. public pylons happen for books by marginalized people, people who are actual victims of harassment campaigns? Like I'm thinking, Comics Gate. I'm thinking. I know people who have uh, queer people who have worked for Marvel who have been right. the victims of a lot of Marvel pylons, and I think I would support have supported in. This is just me saying this. I think it would have been problematic if the Eisner's had actually pulled their nominations. I think that would have been an issue. And
0: I can anticipate someone listening to this and being like, well, clearly, but these are very different because one is like a actually racist book and the other hypothetical situation wouldn't be, or, you know, something like that. But. I, 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 I want to say, like, I do agree with you because I think the issue is when you're an institution and the Eisners are an institution, institution, there's a legal element there and sort of an institutional element there where you have to be consistent in the way that you handle things. Yes. So if the response, even though in the in this sort of hypothetical situation that we're talking about, there is culturally... And I would personally say, ethically, a huge difference between, like, a book being criticized for being racist and uh, a marginalized author, you know, being part of a targeted harassment campaign, it doesn't matter because legally those are going to be treated the same. (laughs) And so if if the precedent is, oh, we pull the material, the material is going to get pulled, even if we can all sit around and be like, well, but it shouldn't because it's a different situation. I'm not saying that's right. I'm not saying that's how it should be. <laughs> I'm just saying that, like, in the situation that exists as is, uh, it, I I think you... Are, I, I agree with your point that I think it would be potentially an issue in the future. Because what happened here shouldn't... It, 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 in my opinion, the issue is that it shouldn't have been nominated in the first place, right? There should have been some yes. sort of there should mechanism. Been, uh, and
1: And something. I think it's important to say... It, it doesn't necessarily have to have been a tokenized person as a judge, a right? Person oh yeah, of color absolutely. On the judgment group, I I think I think that it's problematic to expect uh, people of color to prevent these things from happening as well.
0: Absolutely, like there's no reason. Again, like obviously the fact that the, it's a. In my opinion, the fact that the judging panel is six white people is not great. It's not a great look. <laughs> it's I, I don't understand how that was what they arrived at in the in the year of our Lord twenty twenty three. That being and said, I don't
1: know. Did the ju- I and uh, sorry to stop you. I don't know oh, if the ahead. judges knew who each other were. I don't know if this was true. Also, if that, they were hidden that. from each other, I do want to point that out. I don't know if these judges were hidden from each other.
0: That's also possible, or right? if it,
1: they had. Inter- if they talk to each other, I I don't know how, I, how Eisners are judged. Sorry, go on.
0: No, you're good. Um, that I, that makes sense. I, it's not in their FAQ how the uh, clear. Obviously, <laughs> the, the judging process isn't completely outlined in the FAQ. Um, so unclear, but. Um, also unclear if it's the same judges who pick the nominees that judge the nominees because from the faq it sounds like it might be a different panel that picks the books um mm. which is an impor- important note i don't know it could be wrong but that's what it I, it sort of sounds like based on. ultimately the, uh...
1: there's someone who knew that the six judges were all white
0: <laughs> right whoever was the one to it together is or, or the people rather that were responsible for that but um Ah, shoot, I kind of forgot where I was going with this. Oh, but I'm so sorry. I get... <laughs> no, you're good, you're good. I'm just thinking, like, the point is, like, it's like, okay, this is the situation as it is, and now, like, hope the move should be, like, moving forward. What is the Eisners going to implement to sort of prevent this from happening again? Right, like, and, and, and then, like, oh, I think what I was going to say is, like, them, them being all white people isn't an excuse for them in my picking in my opinion a pretty racist book for a bunch of nominations like
1: yes yes they still
0: should have known better someone yes and again we don't know if it was a unanimous like i don't want to you know we don't know like we don't know how the judging actually went it could have been like a small minority like pushed it through like whatever but like um it is there should have been a critical literacy that i think is a critical visual literacy should be that you should have to judge a comic that clearly was missed here, right? Yes. And and so I and, think that's the bigger problem.
1: <laughs> yeah, and as we're moving into conclusions, that's why we decided to record this podcast. Yeah. We didn't want to this is all alleged. This yes. is all opinion, but we think it's important to try to help push our culture the comics culture comics awards awards in general to help push that towards a a critical eye towards mm-hmm. visual literacy taking into account the impact that a book comic can have on marginalized peoples mm-hmm. um and that's why we're here we aren't here to gossip um we are to- here um to speak out of school um we're here because we think this yeah. is important these are roles that we have had on judgment panels judging panels yeah um and we want to publicly say we encourage people to start to move towards more of a critical eye towards anti-black racism towards yeah um this uh use of language this use of of uh imagery
0: and I I also want to tag in importantly here anti like towards because again sort of in my opinion it's 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 also anti it's a it's an it's a um anti indigenous like it's you know what I mean like it's mm-hmm. it's a specific sort of like uh uh, tro- uh the the trope that is being ev- tropes that seem to be evoked in again my my estimation are are specifically harmful to indigenous peoples Mm -hmm. in addition to you know black people and other um i mean it's just racist but i just wanted to also highlight that there is a specific there's also a specific uh colonial thing here that's Mm. important to be aware of right like yes if you want to be if you want to it's anti anti anti-racism and part of anti-racism is understanding the continued influence of colonization and mm-hmm. um, working towards like decolonizing and like following indigenous efforts to decolonize, including in the type of imagery and language that we use as artists, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted to hi- I wanted to make sure we also called that out specifically.
1: And I think as we're sitting in the conclusion, I also want to say um, I wanted to clarify when I said that um, I felt like these uh books that in, in when I was judging uh certain books handled uh important topics crudely or hurtfully mm-hmm. um I think it's important to say it's not to say that books can't be cruel yeah it's not to say that books can't contain um important issues and it's mm-hmm. not to say that those books can't contain important issues that are handled poorly by the characters right um and because people are, fallible people are like stories shouldn't be moralistic all the time like stories stories can be complicated and weird but i think it's when uh i've purposely framed it as crudely when it feels like a something is presented in order to be shock value in order to that i felt like would perpetuate harm um that i felt like wasn't it wasn't the uh, character being problematic. It was the book itself being problematic.
0: And that's, I think, we're having critical literacy about, like, the, uh, you know, racist and, and, you know, other, you know, uh, beyond racism, like transphobic and homophobic. Like, being aware of, like, that imagery and the history of, like, harmful tropes and, like, having the critical literacy to recognize when someone is maybe unintentionally or cl- clumsily or like intentionally in some cases like uh without the intent to critique or um you know I- i'm maybe saying this in a poor way but like no point I, is critical I, literacy is sort of the key
1: <laughs> yeah and i think and i think i'm saying that because i am a lover of cruel books so yeah, one of my favorite absolutely. authors is annie pearl who has uh gay characters who experience homophobia in their her books these things happen they are part of life but i think that the way an author and a book can handle certain things can show either compassion towards a situation or a criticalness to the situation or even be presenting it uh neutrally but not be And this is honestly, this is, this is literacy, right? This is, this is a thoughtful being able to read, uh, read something and realize and try to understand whether that book is adding to a problem or including the problem, right? Like, like, (laughs) (laughs) and that is, that is judge. Uh, Everyone's a different judge to that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But it's important and that's why having like panels of judges is so important because people might read that and even if both of them have like the same level of like understanding or interpretation, they might still take away completely different like feelings towards that about mm-hmm. like what the book is bringing and that's fine. That's how it should be. The point yeah. is that like you should have the starting point of being able to identify it in the first place and, and I like think- what's happening. <laughs>
1: and like i had like one of the books that we awarded had for instance the topic of sexual violence and Mm -hmm. one of the books that i uh vetoed um because i felt strongly about it um also had sexual violence and they were both handled very differently by the author and the story um one was shock value and one was uh sort of showing was very painful (laughs) <laughs> right and it was like and it felt and it had compassion towards the character experience it had um it she was a full person in that story right, right. like th- these are this is um literacy and this is why as educators this is something that we encourage people to work on is this media literacy is the literacy of story and uh reading these books with criticism with a critical eye um because that's how we can s- stop perpetuating harm yeah. Right. And uh, uh, and I'm going to finish the conclusion soon. But it is <laughs> like we're also talking about book bans, right? Yes. And I, I personally am not calling for this book to be thrown into a bonfire. Right. <laughs> I, am ca- I also agree and say, in my opinion, maybe this book shouldn't be up for this award.
0: Right. But that's not the same thing.
1: It's not the same thing.
0: An award is an accolade. Yes. It is an endorsement by an institution. It is an accolade. It is not, a book not getting an award does not in any way prevent it from getting into the hands of people that want to read it. And it's (laughs) not,
1: I am not calling upon the, this is fascism, right? I am not calling upon the government to say, in my opinion, this is a bad book and no one should be legally allowed to read it right in that's no, the difference
0: in no way <laughs> that's the difference yeah <laughs> like maybe right. there are people that are calling for that i don't know but that's not what we're talking about
1: yeah and i think that's what uh that's what i we are um yeah opinion is in fact yeah um yeah exactly um so uh we're just gonna uh move into i know we have a letter um, and if you want to send us letters, you can send them to drawingadialogue at com. But Remus, I'm kind of into the idea of keep, keeping this a sweet hour long. Um, yeah.
0: Do you want to save that letter for episode 50? Yeah. Cool.
1: Yeah. We do have episode 50 coming up next. We so promise.
0: <laughs> if you...
1: Oh, jeez. Um uh i mean here's the thing me and remus are friends and we're nerds so i don't think we'll ever <laughs> even though we take hiatuses i think you're safe just stay subscribed
0: yeah yeah we'll don't, always come back to it it us. just you know sometimes <laughs> it's real sometimes stuff happens like both of the hosts have to move suddenly yep. um <laughs> and it's a little like uh, we're not getting paid to do this so we're not gonna like try we're not gonna like panic and try to get it out around
1: <laughs> and I you know what? That's what I, I don't wanna have to I exactly. don't wanna have to panic. Um so I wanna say thank you to the downtown boys for the use of their song Wave of History. It's off their album Full Communism. You can get it off their band camp. Um this what this I'm just gonna do it myself. Um this <laughs> podcast drawing a dialogue is hosted on comic dot com, um where I have my art education, comic art education information i i'm booking library workshops all summer long if you're sort of in the new england area um you can book me it's fun i've been having a good time um drawing a dialogue um i'm gonna be frank i don't know if we're gonna have citation for this episode i think you're on your own (laughs) Um. (laughs) yeah that's yeah
0: um that's fair yeah we don't don't worry about it
1: (laughs) i i I haven't even clicked. i even it's uh, some of these some of these articles are clickbait and i refuse
0: yeah we don't need to add again we don't we don't do this because we don't want to increase unnecessary attention on the thing like adding a bunch of links i think would also yeah increase unnecessary attention if you're if you're very desperate you can find it yourself pretty easily so you've already found it (laughs) and (laughs) I'm honestly
1: (laughs) honestly uh, if you're listening to this and you're like i need to find it I encourage you to just be like, you know what? I don't know if I need that. Yeah. It's clickbait. The more you click, the more they're going to publish crap like this. Um, If you don't give it attention, if you don't give it money, money is attention, attention is money. um, We can have this crap die. Yeah. (laughs) Honestly. So I challenge you. I challenge you not to try to click, to try to not click this stuff. Um. Our email address is drawing at gmail.com. You can follow me at Kathy G John on all social medias. How about you, you, Remus?
0: You can follow me for now on Twitter at Remus Jackson. Remus? Yes, is that no. Nope, that's not it. Sorry. <laughs> I forgot ah, my Twitter th- Never
1: mind. Don't follow Remus. Don't oh. don't do it. <laughs>
0: okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's fine. Uh it's Remus it's Remus Maurice and then I'm uh, which is M A r e m u s m a u r i c e um i am on instagram also at remus jackson i don't know i'm i don't i don't know you can follow me or you can not i don't care
1: uh <laughs> i'm i'm about to launch a camaraderie which is a public or uh like a it's like patreon but for communists nice. um <laughs> which, which isn't how i identify but um uh so it's like, it's like Patreon. It's called camaraderie. It's camaraderie.co, I believe. Um, but if you follow me at Kathy G. John, C-A-T-H-Y-G-J-O-H-N on all my social media, um, you can go there and you can get support and you can get a discounts off of my, uh, store. I've got a whole bunch of posters. I've kept, even though I haven't been posting posters, I have been making awesome Prince <laughs> as i've been moving um and so I'll, i'm about to start flooding social media full of nice. art that i'm proud of so that's why I, I just plugged myself a little bit more than i normally do uh what are you reading right now remus
0: i don't okay it's been a long time and i have read a lot of things so i think i don't and I don't remember what I said I was reading in the last episode. You've so been <laughs> reading? I have, like, not been reading while I was moving. All my boxes well,
1: are in books. All my boxes are in books. All my books are in boxes.
0: Well, I, to be fair, I read on my phone because I have the little Libby app. Um, I think I want to call out specifically, I finally read Detransition Baby um, by Tori Peters. Mm. Um, And was just gobsmacked, blown away by how beautiful it is. Uh, speaking of books that handle um, sensitive concepts in a way that is not positive, but critical and uh, feels compassionate. Mm. Um, and yeah, just absolutely fabulous, really made me want to write, like made me want to, I don't, I'm not good at writing prose, but it made me, like, want to, which I feel like is a good, um, a good thing, so, uh, and then the other one, the other one I wanted to quickly flag, uh, is, uh, Winter's Orbit, because I think you would like this, Kathy, Winter's Orbit by Everina Maxwell, um, which is a, space opera novel about uh, ar- uh, arranged marriage which is one of my favorite tropes um <laughs> i love a gay arranged marriage and i love political nonsense so really really fun she has another uh Everina maxwell has another book set in the same universe but with like very different characters and stuff that's also really good um so just two very different flavors but two very wonderful <laughs> little books cool what about you what are you reading
1: um, so I haven't been reading a stitch of things because everything's been in boxes. And I think like reading always kind of makes me feel a little depressed because I think it's just, like a quiet activity. And for some mm. reason that so like whenever I'm reading, I need to be kind of in a good place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't been. I mean, I'm fine. Don't worry about Kathy, your old friend. Kathy is fine. Um, But <laughs> moving was hard. Yeah, moving's hard. Um, But I've been playing a lot of Sims. On my phone I've been doing sims free play it's free <laughs> um right now there's like a crafting event and i I want to get like these little there was like these these like little these little shelves that were like oh. cute is this like I, the re- is this know.
0: like a real sims game where you like
1: yeah it's like it's like actually the sims they just try to get me to spend money and I watch ads every once in a while, but sure um yeah wow, it's free on your phone.
0: The future is real. I <laughs> I was really
1: into it years ago. Um, and then I kind of sort of finished all of it. And then so I deleted it. And gotcha. now, and so it's been years and they've added so much more fun stuff to it. So yeah, Whoa. making little Sims houses, making little.
0: That's fun. Yeah. I assume you can't break it the way that you could break the desktop version with cheats.
1: I honestly haven't. I think this is the only Sims I've ever really played.
0: I I played a lot of, I I was a child that played a lot of The Sims, um, and there's, but the way that I like to play video games is by destroying them from the inside out, so um, the joy of The Sims on the desktop version to me is that you, there's a lot of, like, built-in cheats um, that, like, that kind of let you go hog wild.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think instead of cheating, they just want me to give them money.
0: (laughs) Yeah, probably! So,
1: I think they probably, that's probably not an option for the free phone version, but who knows? Maybe I, I, I know. I'll never play the desktop version. Um, <laughs> I'm not much of a gamer, Remus.
0: I I know this. I I'm know also this, super into
1: Sudoku, which is.
0: Oh shoot, me too. Have you been? Have you been? Are you playing it analog, or have you have you been playing the good Sudoku app?
1: I play the New York Times. Oh, the New app. York Times. Because I've been doing the I, do, I was doing the crossword for a long time. And they also have a Sudoku and like a few and like Wordle and like stuff like that. Yeah, I have that a I have a New York Times account through my job. So
0: gotcha, that makes sense. I, uh, I'm not I, giving them money. I got into uh, there's an app called Good Sudoku that I got into because they shouted it out on my brother, my brother and me. I know. I've I I
1: was like I've heard <laughs> I've heard about that.
0: It's I like it because it uh it teaches you like strategies and stuff which I it never I, this obviously there's strategies to sudoku it just never occurred to me. <laughs> I mean they're... how
1: hard are you thinking about sudoku really before? Yeah.
0: <laughs> so but it's sort of nice to like um I don't know it, it, I I I'm, I'm interested my partner uh only plays my partner has like a physical book and they sort of refuse to play uh, games on their phone, um, so I'd be. I'm curious to sort of take my strategies to their little book and see if it carries over.
1: Oh, <laughs> I'm sure it will. It's not like things are moving around digitally. No, there's like the some. Thing.
0: There's some like quality of life things. They add little like auto note the numbers for you and stuff. I mean, you don't have to do that. You can turn it off, but I like that.
1: Adorable. Well, that's our lives. Um, thanks for sticking with us. We appreciate yeah. it. We always take hiatuses, but we always come back. Because we are human beings and we are yep. fallible. Um, th- so thank you so much for listening to Drawing a Dialogue. My name is uh, Kathy G. Johnson.
0: And I'm Ramus Jackson.
1: Solidarity forever. Uh, we support the WTA. Woo! <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Bye. Bye.